right heart, oh God, you won't despise. Some of us come bust up and broken. Some of us come just thinking the last person who would want to meet with me is Jesus. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you won't despise. God doesn't turn away anyone. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed if you're the end of your rope. God is calling you to himself. Because that's what the kingdom is about. The kingdom turns the world the right way up. The values of the world on its head. And the values of the world to the way they should be. It's just lovely to hear the testimonies from people being healed. Testimonies from people uh, who've met with God. Um, testimonies of, Sh- I love Shara's story about stepping out in faith. You know, the first attempt didn't quite go so well. Shara, thank you for being so honest and, and allowing us in that story. But then the next time saying, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to let one failure, one, kind of mis- you know, one missed opportunity stop me. I'm going to try again. Um, just so sh- I want to tell you a story of my failure because I think it's good because it empowers us, doesn't it? Because I'm determined uh, not to give up trying to share my faith and try and pray for people. A few weeks ago, I was sat on the tube um, at Westminster and this man walked on the tube and I looked at him and the Lord said to me, he's suffering from regret. You need to go and pray for him. It was quite clear. I felt quite prompted and I sat in my seat and I just said to God, only if he moves to sit next to me. And God said, no, no, you have to move to him. And so this little internal dialogue went on. And in the end, unfortunately, I won. And so the guy got off the tube and I didn't see him again. But I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop trying to risk and take those opportunities. And um, in fact, last uh, Wednesday, I, um, I drove Robbie up and Jacob up, uh, who, Robbie who was speaking last week and his, his assistant to Oxford. And, and I had a pain in my right ankle. And uh, I was convinced it was a sympathy pain, like Robbie talked about last week. And so I was so convinced it was for someone else. Um, I'd been wandering around Northfields looking for someone with a, a problem with their right ankle. And so much so that I got off the motorway onto the Beaconsfield services and walked around the services a few times. Actually, I was in quite a lot of pain at this point. This pain was getting quite bad. And I was thinking, there must be someone here to pray for. I've still not found. So if anyone here tonight has a pain in your right ankle, please let me pray for you because then it might go. <laughs> you might be healed and then I won't have to walk around service stations anymore looking for someone to pray for but I'm not going to give up I am not going to give up even when I mess up even when it doesn't work out even when I fail even when I don't take the opportunities I will get up and keep going I'm determined why because Jesus calls me to because Jesus says Chris I've got an adventure for you I'm at work I'm healing I'm delivering I'm setting people free I want people to find me would you come and join with me in that And you know, the stories of God at work in our own lives and the lives of the people around us uh, remind us of one thing, and that's what I want to speak about tonight, is that God is generous. He is extravagantly generous. And because God is generous, he calls us to give ourselves away to others. He calls us to give ourselves away to others. And there are so many ways we can do that. But I want you to remember that phrase tonight, that we are called to give ourselves away to others. I'd love you to memorize it. I'd love you to write it on your hands. I'd love you to tell your friends. That's what God has called us to do. But most of all, we're called to do it, to actually give ourselves away to others. And tonight, I want to tell you why from the passage we're going to look at and how. The two important things, how do we do that? How do we uh, give ourselves away to others? If you've got a Bible, if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read verse 37 to 42. Before we do that, I'm going to pray for us.
Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for the example you gave, for the teaching you give. I pray you'd send your spirit now, take your word and write it on our hearts. Lord, that it wouldn't just be information that we get, but our lives would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 6, verse 37 to 42. Let me read to you. Stop judging others and you will not be judged. Stop criticizing others or it will all come back on you. If you forgive others, you will be forgiven. If you give, you will receive. Your gift will be returned to you in a full measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over. Whatever measure you use in giving, large or small, it will be used to measure what is given back to you. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. What good is it for one blind person to lead another? The first one will fall into a ditch and pull the other one down also. A student is not greater than the teacher, but the student who works hard will become like the teacher. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So this, this passage appears in um, Luke's telling of one of Jesus' long sermons. It's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, Luke says that Jesus went down onto a plain, onto a kind of flat area. Um, so I think Jesus' teaching often, he would say, tell the same stuff you know, again and again, he would want to emphasize key things about the kingdom. And I think this is one of those things. Uh, these, this bit of teaching in Luke chapter 6 is, is one of those thing, uh, parts of teaching that Jesus wanted his disciples to really get. I want you guys to know this. This really matters. This is really important. Um, just to give you a little bit of context uh, for this passage, in, in Luke chapter 5, uh, verses, uh, from the start of Luke chapter 5 until Luke chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus is basically making disciples. He's gathering people to himself. So in Luke chapter 5, we find the story of Peter, where Peter is called to follow Jesus. And Peter's response is, um, I'm not good enough to be a disciple. But Jesus calls him to become a fisherman of men rather than a, per- a person who just is a fisherman. We see him um, called Levi, the tax collector, um, who was probably uh, kind of hated and and despised by everyone else. But for Jesus, he's going to be one of the apostles, one of the people who will be sent to tell the world about Jesus. And he gathers people to himself. He heals a paralyzed man, a man with leprosy. Um, He calls people to himself. He's gathering disciples, those who will follow him. And then Luke chapter 6, verse 17 to 19, he he goes up the mountain to pray and he gathers 12 apostles, the disciples, the ones who are closest to himself. He calls them to himself and then he takes them down the mountain to the plain, gathers all the disciples from the region and he begins to teach them. And what he's teaching them is how to live life in the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God works. And he does it by teaching and by demonstrating. So he heals the sick And he casts out evil spirits. He demonstrates the power of the kingdom to set people free, to bring new life. And he teaches them what then that life looks like in the kingdom of God. So what does he say? He says that there's blessing for the poor, the hungry, the mourning, the outcast and the persecuted. Those whom the world has rejected in the kingdom, they are the ones for whom they're most welcome. Turns the values of the world upside down. 
One of the key things about Jesus' teaching, some would say this is the biggest distinctive of a Christian, is that we're to love our enemies. Jesus says you've got to love your enemies. You've got to pray for those who persecute you. Don't just be friends and love those who love you. Go to the outcast, to the outsider. Luke had a real heart for those whom the rest of society had forgotten. And this key verse in verse 35 of chapter 6. You will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and to those who are wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. You, know, you must be generous. You must be a, a kind of turn, you'll have your hearts turned to those who have nothing. Why? Because that's just what God is like. So when Jesus talks about generosity and not judging and not condemning, he's saying to, we're to be like our heavenly father. We're to be like Jesus because that's just what he demonstrated. You know, Jesus is the leader that we follow. So we have this funny little story in the middle of uh, this passage where Jesus said this, what good is it for one blind person to lead another? The first one will fall into a ditch and will pull the other one down also. A student is not greater than the teacher, but the student who works hard will become like the teacher. You know, we become like the one we follow. If we follow Jesus, we become like him. And in this passage, he's challenging those who had committed themselves to the religious teachers. He's telling them and us not to follow anyone who would lead us to do anything that opposes his teaching. Namely, going to the outcast, blessing the poor, ministering to the sick, including those who'd been left out. You know, his teaching was not hate your enemies and stay away from the unclean people. But that was the message of some of the religious teachers of the day. We've got to stay pure and holy and clean, so we're going to stay away from anyone who's not like us, who disagrees with us, who's opposed to us, and so just bit by bit, they would step away from the people they were meant to reach, until there's this huge chasm and gap between the so-called people of God and the people God has come to reach. And Jesus did the exact opposite. He drew as close as he could to those on the margins, on the outside, the prostitutes, the tax collectors those for whom the religious leaders had expelled from the synagogues who wouldn't allow to worship. Jesus was constantly criticised for being generous in his life and giving his life away in sharing table with uh, the wrong kind of people. And so when Jesus says, stop judging others and you will not be judged, stop criticising others or condemning them, um, the reason he's saying that is because when we judge someone else, when we condemn someone else, we put that gap between us and them. We push them away. And we put ourselves away from them. And what does that mean? Well, it means that if I judge you, I'm not going to bless you. If I condemn you, I'm not going to spend time with you. I'm going to make myself better than you in my own eyes. But actually, it's going to limit what God can do through me to someone else. Sometimes we think about people groups that are really hard to reach with the gospel think well they'll never respond they'll never be interested do you know what I find I find it fascinating about how many people I meet who are fascinated by Jesus who aren't in any way closed off to him who aren't in any way opposed to him they might have a problem with religion or they might have a problem with other things but they don't really have a problem with Jesus one of the things that's been so fun about Alpha this term is we've had a number of people from the Hindu faith who've been coming along and asking questions and seemingly new people almost each week and we find talking about Jesus and, and, and offering to pray for people and minister in, in the name of Jesus, they, they love it. 
Um, my friend uh, who's been coming to the last couple of Alpha courses, she's invited friend after friend of hers, people who've been living with her, people who she spends time with, to come along to, to meet with us because she's found life. And all she's saying, come and see what God has done for me. You can experience the same in Jesus' life and always room for more. A tragedy. God longs to call all. We set a standard for judging other people. That's okay, but we have to match that standard. That's quite a warning, isn't it? How we judge others, be it by the way they live, what they say, what they do, what they read, what they watch. Jesus is going to say to us, well, how did you get on with your own standard? That for me is quite frightening. (laughs) It's a good incentive not to judge others because then we can draw ourselves nearer to people. So when we offer forgiveness, when Jesus says forgive and you'll be forgiven, he's saying when you extend forgiveness, what are you doing? You're including those who've messed up. You're drawing them back into the people of God. You're saying, I forgive you. Come back. Let's be reconciled. Let's have relationship together. Isn't that what God is doing for us all the time? Constantly calling us back to himself. When, we, when Jesus said, give and it will be given to you, it's not some kind of weird way that we can get rich. It's that we give to others, firstly, because God has given more than enough to us. And in doing that, we, we go to people. To give to someone else, you have to go to them. And it takes us to the place where people are. And we give and we share of our lives. We give ourselves away to others. So how do we do that? How do we give ourselves away to others? How do we uh, give ourselves away to those whom we might exclude or we might find hard or we might not want to go to? Well, I've just got a few points that I'll rattle through pretty quick. Uh, so we can practically think how we can do this. The first thing is this. Number one, how do we, how do we uh, give ourselves away to others? Recognize that everything we have is a gift. Everything we have is a gift. Every breath you have taken in your life is a gift from God. Every breath you take is a gift from God. What I'd like you to do, I'd like you to take your right hand and put it in your pocket. Maybe your left hand as well. And just take out whatever's in your pockets. Just hold it in your hands. Try and discard some of the kind of receipts and whatever else. Okay, so some of you have got keys in your hands. Some of you have got phones. Some of you have got cash. Some of you have got sweets. Some of you have left some things in your pockets because you don't want to hold them up in church. That's okay. We're not to judge, remember? Okay, everything you have in your hand, everything you have in your hand is a gift. Everything you have in your hand is a gift from God. God has given it to you. He's allowed you to have it. Okay, next thing. I want you to touch in an appropriate way the person next to you. Don't even know why I said that. If you're not next to someone, you have to move. There's a challenge. Okay, you can stop touching them now if you're feeling a little bit awkward and this is a little bit too far. Okay, that person next to you is a gift from God to you. That friendship you have with the person next to you is a gift of God to you. That family relation that you're sat next to is a gift of God to you. The fact that you're able to feel is a gift of God to you. 
The fact that you can hear someone laughing is a gift of God to you. The fact that you can see beauty in nature and creation is a gift of God to you. The fact that you may have had a paycheck in the last month is a gift from God to you. The fact that you may have eaten a donut tonight is a gift of God from you. Or even better, a meal at lunchtime is a gift of God to you. Everything we have is a gift. Everything we have is a gift. If it's a gift, why has it been given? If it's a gift, why has it been given? That we might give it away. That we might give it away. That we might give every breath we take. That our lives might be lived for the benefit of others. That every penny we receive, that somehow we might use that to the glory of God. Every relationship we have, we might invest ourselves in and not hold back. Why? Because everything is a gift. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, um, well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, Paul speaks about giving financially to a church that is generous. And I just want to uh, really quickly look uh, at a couple of parts on that and how we can give generously. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you've got a Bible, it's just worth turning there. I'm going to just draw out two or three points from this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6, uh, Paul says this, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. There's a kind of, a, there's a kind of economy in the kingdom that we give generously and God just gives generously in return. God loves to give good gifts to his children, but if we give, he delights to give. Let's give generously of everything we have. Um, verse 7 says this, Uh, Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. The word cheerfully actually means hilarious. It means like you give with hilarity. You give laughing until you can't stop because there's such joy in giving. Do you know, I think think, um, a challenge that I feel for myself is that am I I lacking joy in my life? Am I lacking... um, power in my life? Am I lacking something of God in my life? I think the Lord would say to me, are you giving? Are you giving away? Because do you know what? It is the thing that brings joy. We're terrified that if we give, we won't have. But actually, we should be terrified that if we miss out on what God will give to us. I think an immense amount of joy comes when we give ourselves away to others. So every blessing that we received last week and the last week, every blessing, I've been so blessed this week. It's been just the most amazing time of seeing lives changed, gone on at move, listening to stories of people meeting with Jesus. If I don't give something of that away, I'll lose joy. If I give it away, it'll increase because I want to give with hilarity. I want to just give freely. Jesus didn't, he? he said this, freely you've received, freely give. So that comes to my second point, really, is that we're to be rivers and not reservoirs. The point of being blessed is that we are a blessing to others. Um, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you, squashed down and overflowing. The point is, is that we're given so that we might give. We're not to hoard and store what God has given us. When the early church was given resources, they were given money, they were given food, they were given fields, they gave them to the poor. That's why the early church was full of joy and the power of God. They were reckless in giving away what God had given to them. Are we holding on to any blessings that God has given us? Are we storing up like a reservoir for ourselves? 
Or are we just allowing, are we just kind of like the riverbed, just allowing the, the blessing of God to flow through us to others? Are we giving away all that God has given? Don't forget, guys, give ourselves away to others. That's what God is calling us to do. So that's the second thing. Let's be rivers, not reservoirs. Let's let the blessing flow through us to others. Whatever we've been given, whatever gift we've been given, let's give it away. Think about how we can do that. The third thing is, let's not discriminate who we give to. Um, Who is God bringing into our path? Who are we able to give to? Sometimes I'm told, you know, we shouldn't really give to people who are begging because they might use the money for bad things. I'm like, I've got loads more than most people who I see who are in need. I really don't care what the situation is necessarily for them. Why don't we just buy them food? Why don't we sit down and converse? Why don't we give away? Why are we so concerned about what my you know, kind of tiny two pound coin is going to, going to give? I know there are responsible issues around all kinds of things, but let's be reckless and cheerful in our giving. Let's not our first thought be, how little can I give, but how much can I give away? To all those who come across our path, whether it's people we meet on the street um, who need prayer for healing, why not just pray for them? Uh, Maybe if we see someone in need, why not just help them? Um, If we see someone who asks us questions about faith in Jesus, why not just answer them? Um, We don't need to worry about whether they're worthy or not. It didn't seem to bother Jesus. In fact, he seemed to take great delight in ministering and giving and blessing those for whom society had said they're not worthy, they're excluded, leave them alone. There's a bit of a pattern there, isn't there, really? If we're to imitate Jesus, we can't discriminate who we give to. And there is a cost to generosity. It's the fourth thing. I love the story of the widow giving two pennies in Luke chapter 21. Jesus is watching people in the temple giving. That slightly worries me that he might watch me when I give. I hope that that's, you know, it challenges me a little bit. Maybe he is watching me. I'm sure he is. But the widow here just put two pennies in the pot whilst others around there were putting lots of money in. But Jesus noticed her um, and that's because she put the smallest amount probably in the pot, but she gave out of her poverty. She basically gave everything she had. Why? Because she loved the Lord. And all she could do, the blessing she could have was to give. Have we ever given a gift that's cost us? Have we ever given financially in such a way that we, we feel it? But we have to sacrifice We've given our time to someone, which means we are incredibly inconvenienced. We miss trains or buses or appointments or meals because we have to give our time to someone else. Are we willing to give up our pride, give it away if you like, so that we can just walk across the room and say we're sorry? Are we willing uh, to give away our fear by crossing the room and praying for someone or sharing our faith in Christ with them? You know, costly generosity can change the world. There's enough food in the world to feed everyone, but not everyone has enough food. If we in the West take up the challenge of some costly generosity, a willingness to pay more, a willingness to sacrifice, we can end hunger. Seriously. That's why we sign the postcards. That's why all of us need to sign a postcard before we leave tonight. That's why all of us need to engage in that. Why? Because it's about costly generosity giving to the least because God has given to us. I believe through costly generosity, the hardest heart could be open to Jesus. Why? Because it's so countercultural. It's shocking. And finally, I come into land with this. The ultimate example of generosity 
is Jesus and his death on the cross. You know, everything we have is a gift. We're to be a, a river of blessing to others where the blessing of God flows through our lives into the lives of others. We're to give to anyone who comes in our path. And that generosity at times is to be costly. Why? Because Jesus is the ultimate example of generosity. Jesus left the riches of heaven, Paul tells us in Philippians 2. He voluntarily gave away his power, gave up his might, gave up his wealth, and made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Gave up his strength and came to earth as a weak child, born in poverty, not with all the trappings that most royal children receive. And if anyone deserved it, Jesus did. Throughout his ministry, he lived without a home and depended on the generosity of others because he'd given it all away. Whatever he had, he gave to those around him, especially the least and the broken. And ultimately, he gave his life up on a cross, dying so that through this incredible act of generosity, he gave his life for us that we can receive the greatest gift. The writer of the Hebrews says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. What was the joy? It was joyful for him to give up his life because he knew the reward would be that the world is saved. The joy set before him, Jesus gave his life for us so that we can receive life today. And his, today, his generosity knows no bounds. We are offered life forever, life eternal, life to the full, beginning now. Freedom from the past, forgiveness of sin, friendship, relationship with God, and the most incredible future that no eye can see, no ear has heard, no heart can comprehend what God has prepared for those who love him. Why? Because God is generous to a fault. We are invited into the kingdom of God to know, to be co-heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ and heirs of God because Jesus laid down his life for us, giving himself away for us. And this is the kind of generosity that Jesus demonstrated and this is the kind of generosity that he calls us to imitate and to do. Give and it will be given to you. Give and you'll receive more than you could possibly imagine. I don't know about you, but I found myself, I wrote this sentence down and it stirred something in my heart. Why don't we give ourselves away to others and start a revolution of generosity? Why don't we give ourselves away to others that we might start a revolution of generosity? I think we can change the world through acts of generosity. I think we can change our families, our streets, our workplaces through acts of generosity. I think if we really do give ourselves away to others, there's no telling what God might do through us. And my question is to us, I think we're up for it. We can just step into what God has for us. Why don't we stand? We're going to pray.